2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
1: I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
2: Well, folks, we're four days down of the French Open 2022. We have been in Paris nearly a week. And finally, we've embarked upon round two <laughs> of Roland Garros. That thing. It has begun. We're 50% of the way through round two matches, in fact. And the favourite on the men's side for the title in many people's eyes, I believe in the bookmakers' eyes, pre-tournament at least, remains alive just mm. the al dream lives on
0: yeah it, it does but you know i i haven't checked the bookie's odds but i dare say he's fallen quite a bit i mean it certainly in public opinion people are starting to withdraw from from <laughs> their their positions i i'm sensing quite abandoning a
1: lot. your ship david yeah
2: well, I've got a lot of questions in that direction that I'm going to be posing, posing to you both. But let's, uh, let's give our dear listeners a little recap of a quite extraordinary series of events on the, on the Simon Mathieu court uh, late afternoon, early evening, um, earlier on today, Wednesday in Paris. Carlos Alcaraz coming from match point down to beat... Countryman Albert Ramos Vinolas, who obviously is a tremendous servant of the game that's been around for so long, and you know four career titles. Remember, he beat Roger Federer in Shanghai that time, beat Andy Murray, did the on route to the Monte Carlo final. He's had results. He's been solid. He's been more than solid on occasion. I don't think he's a a particularly memorable player in any of our eyes. Is he? He's he's an opponent. He's a mm. uh, He's your sort of typical, solid clay quarter that's always there or thereabouts, but never a factor. And today, he suddenly <laughs> decided to make himself a factor again. It's almost as if there was a bit of a, the Daniil Medvedev about him. You know, in the pre-tournament press conference when Daniil Medvedev sort of Riley said, oh, the famous Carlos Alcaraz. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it, it was almost that quote was... Al, Albert ramos Vinolas today was the very embodiment of over that
1: quote mm, I, th- I, th- I agree with you and isn't it funny how you know we can make so many predictions and we can talk up a tournament and we can really think we know what's going to happen in an event Carlos Alcaraz came into this French Open as the Barcelona champion as the Madrid champion as having lost one match on clay all season Albert ramos Vinolas came into this event with his most recent match being a loss to Christopher O'Connell on clay.
2: <laughs> the Australian sensation. The
1: Australian sensation himself. And he also lost to Maren Cilic and Tommy Paul leading into the French Open. He was on a three-match losing streak. And so for all the reasons you've said, Catherine, we know Albert ramos Vinolas to be better than that. But we had absolutely no reason to think that he was going to do this today
2: especially not after a 6-1 first set to Carlos Alcaraz I think it was a couple of games into the second set wasn't it Matt that you thought I'll take a leisurely stroll over to Simon match just catch a bit of Alcaraz you know en route to a, a leisurely victory because you know it's always fun to watch a bit of Carlos Alcaraz up close and that was one of of many events this afternoon that didn't quite pan out exactly as you'd expected.
1: Yeah, that's right. I had about 45 minutes between um, finishing what I was doing and there was a Coco Golf press conference I wanted to go to, so I thought, right, okay, I'll go to Simone Mathieu. David's already been there, I think, and told me that Carlos Alcaraz is looking like Carlos Alcaraz again.
2: Yep. That was a first set take, folks.
0: <laughs> Didn't age well that one.
1: <laughs> so I thought, right, okay, half an hour watching that up close, Packed I could three do weeks
0: worth of suitcase yeah. and off he went.
1: Yeah. and made a made the excursion over to Simone <laughs> Mathieu. It really
2: is a trek. You have to sort of you have to go through a botanical garden mm, to literally get there.
1: do. And when I got there, I was shocked really because the press seats it's it's not a particularly large press area on Simone Mathieu it's much smaller than, than the area on Chattray or Suzanne Longlin but it was full I've never seen it full before and it was packed and I couldn't get a seat and there were journalists sitting on the stairs and standing up and I I thought, oh, I'd, I don't know if I want to be here that much to to just be in this position. Yeah, you
2: thought you thought there'll be other chances. There'll be yeah. there'll be five other chances yeah. to watch Carlos Alcaraz. I'll come
1: back in the semi final. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, you know, I watched my <laughs> three or four games and left him, and he was fine. He was he was, you know, in control of the match, and I thought, right, okay, that's Carlos Alcaraz. Sort of in my mind, mentally tick through to the next round.
2: So then, what happened?
0: Well, it went. All pear shaped, didn't it? Um. <laughs> I mean, I mean,
2: why and how, David, did it go all pear shaped? Well, I, I saw sort of... seven six seven five. The next two sets for Albert Ramos Vinolas, and then and then he's a, he's a breakup in in the fourth and serving for yeah, it. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I didn't see the the second set, which is really when it turned. Because I think the the big thing that Albert Ramos vinilas did is kept keep it close, stay with him, make it a bit messy, make it awkward. Alcaraz doesn't play matches like that. Alcaraz knocks you off off the court. That's typically what he does to most opponents. And that wasn't happening here. And he was missing so much when I saw him. Um, And he he was trying to find that balance, wasn't he, between do I rally with this guy? Well, he can rally all day, so that's not going to work. Do I pull the trigger on everything or that one or this one? And he couldn't. He couldn't seem to find the balance, and uh, and he was just missing so dramatically at times. Um, and even when he would get ahead, he would then seem unsure, and and mm. it would it would he would was, lose that lead. That
2: was quite striking, wasn't it, for somebody who's just been so distinguished by their self belief and self assuredness to to look a bit shaky in the foundations like oh. that. Every time you thought he was he was taking over. He, he he didn't quite did he? I mean, even mm. after he saved that match point, took the fourth set on a tie break, he then went to break down immediately at the start of the fifth. Was he three love three one? Mm-hmm. at at yeah. three, love. Of the three yeah. love at the start. That was of the a fifth.
0: great fight back from him from it was. three love down. because he real four games in a row. He had the break, then he got broken back. On and on it went. I mean, I, I think he he hasn't played on all these different courts before and they're, they are all different this is the thing: simon matier is so different to philip chatrier which he was on two days ago and, and very different as well again to Suzanne Longlen. and if you're on another outside court it's not like when you're just playing on center court all the time at maybe madrid where he wouldn't play anywhere else you know during that that run i think there is a getting used to process here um we had uh, Tommy Robredo on Five Live calling into our coverage this evening, and which was absolutely fascinating. I don't think I've ever heard him really be interviewed in, in English, certainly not as a pundit post-career. You know, he's a month Well, he's from, only been post-career. Yeah, that's right. Brief period. But, but I always think a player, once they've retired, I mean, they might still be in player mode but often you'll then get to know them a little bit and he was asked about Alcaraz and and he said look it may not happen this year but it will happen but he said the thing with him is in one Carlos Ferrero, he has he has the perfect guide through this because he went through this and he said I can tell you that when Ferrero would lose a match, he'd be pissed for a week, pissed off for a week. He'd be so uh, angry. There's
1: a, there's a big difference between those two things, pissed and pissed <laughs> off. Well, pissed in the American <laughs> sense
0: of, of, you know, just
2: I think, being irritated. I think you mean, though, the husk of Juan Carlos Ferrero, which is what's left after today. Yeah. But, there, was, know, there was a permanent Ferrero cam, there was, which was pretty I, entertaining. I, I like
0: the Ferrero cam because I think oh, you, me too. you learn a lot about what's going on out there from him. And I think he was loving every minute of that. And I know he, I know it's tense, and I know it's, it's full of anguish at the moment, but he's building an athlete and building a competitor here, and he's trying to build a champion. And you don't just roll people every time you play. Sometimes you have to do what Alcaraz did today. And I think that that win was so valuable compared to just destroying opponents. He's already done that. He needs to learn how to do this.
2: What struck me about it in terms of why he found himself in that position against, with all due respect to Albert ramos Vinolas, but we know who, who he is. We've had many years of ramos Vinolas's career and he's not generally a guy that challenges the very top players and certainly not at slams. What struck me compared to Madrid, which was obviously the the last tournament we we saw him at, the last time I saw him play, and I was lucky enough to see him play right up close. Is he was dropping the ball short, yeah, a lot. And the the key to his play in Madrid was just how deep he was pushing opponents. And you know Novak Djokovic just couldn't get a foothold on the baseline because he kept on being pushed back. And then of course when he's got you pushed back he hits you with the drop shot he didn't drop as drop shot as much as usual today and that i think was because he wasn't able to to push ramos ramos Vinulas back no. so often ramos vinuelas was the one in the sort of more aggressive position on the court and that's just not what i've come used become used to seeing from uh, from carlos alcaraz but you know most players after madrid they go on to play rome which traditionally has conditions more similar to roland garros so Mm, the transition process begins there so maybe maybe it's a bit of rust combined with a bit of transition from the madrid conditions combined with a bit of tenseness about these being matches that people are people are writing his name on the draw sheet in the next round before he's even played the matches maybe it's all of those things combined but Does the fact that he had to come from match point down today, or he did come from match point down today, does it make you more or less confident in your prediction of Alcaraz the champion, David?
0: Well, less, because he didn't look that impressive. And yet, at the same time, I think it's part of his education now as things stand I I I am rocked in my belief in his ability to win this tournament because I I actually the, the Rome element now feels maybe more significant than I realized you know if you win everything can have to withdraw from Rome because you're exhausted or because your you, your ankle's not great that's not kind of what you would have planned to do he intended to play at Rome until he won the thing and and got hurt and Rome actually is probably the best preparation for this as you said mm. so and, and look, he's, it's Sebastian Corder, isn't it? Nix, who who's a very dangerous player. He's going to have last
2: to, last player to beat him.
0: Yeah, Alcaraz is going to have to find his game, mm. his lethal game, to beat that guy. This won't beat him.
2: It, there are two things. There are two things at play here, aren't there? You've got on the on the negative side the fact that he's not playing as well as he was in Madrid or Barcelona or Miami. He's he's simply not. And you've got the fact that he just spent four hours and 34 minutes on court today. Even as a 19-year-old, that is a very long time. In his on-court interview afterwards, he was asked, how did you feel? And he said, tired. <laughs> I feel tired. And then on, on the other side of the coin, you have the invincible feeling of coming from match point down. We've seen players be spurred on to win titles, to win big titles after coming from match point down early on in tournaments it does have an effect on players and i guess it's just what you consider the net to be of those two things
1: yeah i think that's exactly right i'm i'm not that concerned by the level i think he'll find it when he when he plays better players and when he needs to um i still think it's possible he plays pretty much close to top level and doesn't win this tournament because Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic are still in it. Spoiler. Um, Although we probably would be leading with the podcast if they'd gone out. out. Um, But there was something about the way he recovered in this match and in particular won the fifth set. I mean, the fourth set was the one where he had to save the match point. But the fifth set comeback, it felt more like Alcaraz. It felt more like him being him. He felt more energetic. He felt more lively. And the gets that he made in particular one of them a backhand passing shot he was he was not even on the screen when ramos vinyilas hit the volley to put it away he he covered the whole court and hit a backhand winner up the line and had the crowd in raptures and then a few games later he it was a it was a jimmy connors impression of that <laughs> incredible point yes, at the us open where he just right. was scrambling the ball back i think he he made 3 almost impossible recovery shots and then hit a fourth that Ramos Vinalas ended up netting the volley off. And there was something about that which just felt like, as you as you put it, David, OK, it wasn't his best match, but it still felt like it was a lesson for him and he grew as a player and it was a valuable experience to have gone through. And it felt like all of that was strengthening his kind of shield of invincibility and how do you beat this guy you know and just watching that kind of made me feel more confident about him in this tournament because if he's winning that match by doing Mm. those sorts of things gosh
0: he's such a force I know we didn't get to be in the stadium for that match, but how good was the communal experience in the press room while that was was going on
2: it is really special when the attention of the entire press room is focused on one thing and you know it Without looking at the screens, you just you know it because of the atmosphere in the room one hundred
0: and fifty people everyone like is that. having
2: and sport ultimately is about shared experience mm. if we learn anything during sort of covid sport it's that I think for me and i'm sure it would have been absolutely marvelous to be out on some unmature court but there was something quite special about um sharing that. Experience with a the bunch noises. of people that you know. I don't. The don't oh, all know and, oh, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> there were. I mean, we watched the fifth set of that match, Matt and I, in the media canteen in the media cafe, thinking the fifth set might be somewhat straightforward for Carlos Alcaraz, and we had to sit like we we're in a classroom next to one another <laughs> because there was only one screen that we could <laughs> we could look at. So it was like we were sort of in a cinema. Eating eating our brackets, very disappointing dinner. Um, in my case, and what'd you have? Oh, I had salmon, but in France they think a mushroom sauce is something that's compatible with salmon, mm-hmm. and I I really disagree. Yeah, you made an error there. Yeah, I didn't. I I just ordered the salmon, thinking mm. my body would probably enjoy some some omega three, um, and then suddenly there's a chef spooling four ladles worth of. <laughs> if if mushroom sauce onto it and it's all too late. Slop. And, yeah, it was really horrifying. Anyway, then we sit down and the texts from Math and the Alcarazmataz group are suddenly just incessant. And uh, yeah, at 7.56pm, he said, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen on a tennis court. And that was in regards to one absolutely obscene retrieval from, from Carlos Alcaraz uh and then and then at uh, at at 8:17 well that record lasted 19 minutes in reply <laughs> to his own message and it really was it was he was almost he was he was making the completely unmakeable shots Alcaraz and yeah it was the sort of rally balls that he wasn't hitting mm. with the same potency as he as he mm. has been in the past but look I think we've fallen down on the side of only time will tell.
0: I think so. That's a mm. safe bit it's, of ground it's to it's be a,
2: It's a safe place to be, isn't it? <laughs> he um
1: he, by the way, in the Spanish portion of his press conference said that he thinks that's one of his best wins ever, you know, making the point that, yes, it's great to, you know, smash someone to smithereens as he's done a lot, but also there's something about winning when you're not at your best and accepting that and i think he learned to accept that as the match went on i, th- I felt in the early stages he was quite frustrated it was as, as frustrated as, as i've ever seen him a lot of looking over to his box a lot of just shouting at himself and being cross that he wasn't playing well but he he, he improved all that as the match went on and I, I i feel like he was sort of learning as it was going and i'm sure if he's in that situation again he'll he'll deal with it even better hmm.
2: Mm. Let's cover off uh, Nadal and Djokovic because we've we've spoiled away their results. But there isn't there isn't a whole amount to say. I don't think Djokovic versus uh, v- versus Alex Molchan was entirely uneventful. Really, Djokovic once again hundred percent dialed in. Maybe not that ferocious intensity that we saw in the opening round, but still ferocious focus. I think there were there were a number of factors that could have got to him today. He was playing on court Suzanne Longlin. It was really windy and, you know, just a bit unideal.
0: It's a very he, different court. It's a very sort of different court. Shutter, he does not it?
2: like the wind. And sort of those two things combined, you know, you, you, could, you could imagine a scenario where Djokovic, you know, feels sort of persecuted. Oh, why did they have to put me on Longlin today on a windy day? Because, of course, you know, it's more exposed to the... To the elements, long then, and of course he's playing a guy who's got his former coach and mentor and father figure in his box. All of those things, or any one of those things, um, could have got to Djokovic today, and they just didn't. He, he did, was did a good just job, didn't he? too good. Mm. Um, very impressive from him, and he now plays Aliash Bednay, which is that's a good draw. It's a dream. A it's draw. a dream. No well, he's like a English, ball but... machine for him, yeah. um, it, it It's
1: yeah, I mean sport is sport for a reason and we play these matches out for a reason it is almost impossible to imagine Mm. a scenario where Aliash Bedene beats Novak
0: Djokovic over five sets I think Djokovic has got to be injured to to lose that match you've
2: both just said foregone conclusion without actually saying foregone conclusion is what you've done
0: yes I have
2: Mm. Hmm. Nadal beat Quarantan Mute tonight, also in straight sets. David, you were commentating on that for Five Live. We were listening. Um, Very different match to the Djokovic against Molchan one. To me, this this felt like a very professional exhibition.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, look... Mute tried. He he's left handed. He he's doing a lot of similar things to what Nadal does. He's just nowhere near as good. But the fact that he was very openly letting us in on the fact that he hero worships Rafael Nadal, that he used to dress in the sleeveless shirt, that, you know, he was he was the bad guy he would have posters of. You know, he absolutely idolized him and which is lovely. But I got the sense that he was just thrilled to get this up close option to to watch Nadal and to see how his own game matches up but I don't never, never thought for a second this guy thinks he can win mm. at all and 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 I think that that makes winning less likely.
2: Mm. It felt like the task was make sure the crowd leave feeling like they've got their money's worth and it was just enough entertainment and contest to feel that way and but he got no, his standing ovation no as a result whatsoever, whatsoever. it was it. all very sort of Mansour Barami Omri lacan wasn't it <laughs> um so those two safely through Nadal plays Bertuc van der Zandschulp next I've got a feeling that match will be Nadal's outing on Longland because he played his he played his night session Chatrier match tonight I suspect Alcaraz corder will be the yeah. night session in two days' time. Djokovic has already played night session and Longlen. I doubt he'll be out there again.
0: He's dangerous, isn't he? Van de Yeah. Don't you think he's a danger? I mean, he is... He doesn't let you down very often. You know, I mean, he... Who did he beat at the US Open? Somebody of note. Can't remember who it was.
2: Lloyd Harris? No.
0: <laughs> is that memorable? I can't even remember... <laughs> But I th- I think he's <laughs> I think he's good. He's a bit <laughs> he's a bit tricky to use yeah,
1: that's, the, that's to the use word. the Magdalene word. That's which, the word I'm um, looking for.
2: Tricky. Yeah, you know? I'm expecting it to be harder than Quarantin Mute.
0: And on and on long then, it's kind of his Alex Mulchan, but without it's, the psychological drama. It's
1: interesting mentioning the the scheduling there and the fact that You know, Nadal's had a night session match now and Djokovic has had a night session. I'm not exactly sure how it works for the quarterfinal stage, but I think they're still playing night session at that point. I'm just thinking in terms of a possible Nadal-Djokovic quarterfinal getting ahead of myself. My pick on that match might depend on when that match is played. If that's night mm. session, I'm definitely going Djokovic. Yeah, I but think that's... it's
2: massive for Nadal when that, night, when that match and, is and played. And
1: that match they played in the semifinals last year was a night session
2: match. And you know exactly what cases will be made behind the scenes. I mean, maybe we should save this for the preview podcast of mm. when it actually happens. But Amazon lobby for it to be night session. France what is it? France 2, 3, 4? One of the France's. 4, I think. France 4. Um, France TV, anyway. They lobby for it to be day session. Djokovic lobbies for it to be night session. Rafa lobbies for it to be day session. I don't, I don't know who wins in Let's that. Let's call the whole know. thing off. <laughs> ah, tennis agendas. Um So, yeah, Nadal against Van der Zandtrupp is a third round match. Alexander Zverev, also through to the third round, also came back from the brink. Saved a match point against Sebastian Baez, who was today's Lorenzo Massetti. And that is harsh. I know that's harsh. It's
0: harsh. It's really harsh. In that fifth set, he he was serving for the match. He, yeah, he I He did I, in the fifth what we wanted Mosetti th- to I do. I think in the
2: fifth. I think the very very lazy, facetious point I've made there is that it was another match with two sets that were a waste of my time. <laughs> yes. He, yes. Sebastian, has at least made the fifth set not a waste of anybody's time, and thank you for that, Sebastian. That's the argument but against five-set matches. Yeah, isn't both it? both matches I think were examples. You know, if you want to make the case against best of five sets, and plenty, plenty do, and I don't happen to agree with it at all. But I think there are valid, valid points to be made. Those both those two matches would would be strong, strong evidence. Mm. That I fifth think.
0: set was was an absolute corker of a set, though. Um, I mean, and look, Baez was leading. I think it was six two four love mm. at one stage. In and this I match. think
2: had points. He had points for five, lo- yeah. five love.
0: and and the moment he didn't take those, things started mm. to. Even though he won that set six four, I thought, mm, okay, Zverev's got into this match now because at the start he was complaining about the wind. He was complaining about everything, and Baez was wonderful. He's he's not very tall. He's dynamic. He's explosive. He's got a lovely strike on the ball mm. a, the, he's got all those shots he's got the shapey sort of loopy one he's got the slice he'll use a slice back drop and shots. drop shots he's got the bullet forehand with when he goes flat he's got everything really for a clay court
1: yeah he really does he's um, he's the Esteril winner this season I think another final in Santiago as well won a lot of matches on clay knows his way around a clay court and I thought he really brought it today and yeah, he he got himself in a winning winning position, and I think I think actually it will be pretty gutted he didn't win that. You know, two sets up, then having a match point, mm. you could you could maybe say he should have won it. To be honest, I felt like Zverev never played that well. I think in the as you said, the third and fourth sets was a lot about Baez not playing that well. Zverev certainly improved from those first two sets where he was all over the place. Um, he did well he escaped to escape, Zverev.
0: He, he did well to escape, but I I don't think that necessarily bodes particularly well. Mm. And, and and maybe that might seem a little bit um, hypocritical, given that I've said that it was, you know, Kraz has learnt something. But the difference is, Zverev's done this um, several times exactly. at Grand Slams, got himself into holes, worn himself out. You know,
2: I, I also think the difference is Zverev hasn't been in brilliant form. No. He okay, he made. reached the Madrid final, but that's pretty much his favourite tournament of the season, and it was still a less good result than he had in the previous season. And
0: he got destroyed in the final. And he it? got
2: yeah. So I, I do think I do think there's a difference. Brandon Nakashima next for, uh, for Alexander Zverev. I, I've not seen anything of him on clay, so no. I, I'll um, I'll take a view on it as I'm watching it. <laughs> Put it that way.
0: Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
2: Let's move on to the women's tennis that we saw today now and... Let's start with Emma Raducanu because that's where we started our day. Matt was in position on Longland for the start of this one, a rematch with Alexandra Sasnovic who beat her in her first post-US Open match in the October Indian Wells last year. Um, I thought Raducanu played well overall. She lost 3-6, 6-1, 6-1. Those two... The second and third sets sound very one-sided, but there were so many extended juice advantage games in there on on both women's serve that really could have gone either way. Um, there was particularly one at the start of the third set, wasn't it? Wasn't there that just felt so decisive? Um, yeah, look, I, I, it's really it's really tricky. I said this to Matt earlier, David. I don't know. I'm interested how you feel about it. I. I I worry about how balanced I'm able to be about Raducanu on the podcast because I feel compelled to try and counteract and balance out the sniffiness and the negativity and the pretty vile um, reactionary responses there are every time she loses and entirely predictable responses that there are every time she loses i feel a responsibility to do that and that's that's not a route to um unbiased tennis punditry is it and yet (laughs) yeah i don't know what the
0: that in itself is authenticity to me because the reason i think you're doing that is not just to to counteract what they're saying and kind of protect defend her it's because she's so young and and new isn't it which which means that that's totally relevant she won the US Open that was ridiculous out of the blue incredible wonderful but that is not representative of her as a tennis player yet that was a sign of how talented she is how capable she is how good she's going to be just as it was at Wimbledon last year, and, and then the US Open was, was that on overdrive, on turbo boost. But do we really expect she's then going to take that into the Australian Open, into the French Open, into Wimbledon, do it all over again, or make the semi I don't. I don't expect her to be doing any of that at the moment. I, I, I'm quite happy for her to have the next two years barely getting into the second week of Grand Slams. Really am if if this time in 2 years she goes into wimbledon and she's just lost in the second round of the french open then i'll be thinking oh that's not a very good result she should be doing better than that by now because by then she'll be what 21 22 and she'll have had two full years from now to become a tennis player to become an athlete to become a competitor to become a grown up really well, well, and and i just i just feel
2: what? Why? Why is the big? What's the big deal? And there was, I, I heard, I, I Matt, Matt was out there watching on the court, um, and I was, I was in the press room, and there was, I heard I heard a few sort of chuckles when she lost, sort of, rise sort of, oh yeah, the supposed U.S. Open champion, you know,
0: Pete Sampras won the U.S. Open type, type things as, when as she lost, and it. Pete Sampras left. won the U.S. Open, I think, as a nineteen-year-old or 20-year-old, in 1990. And he didn't win another Grand Slam until 1993, right? Two and a half years. And he had, and he had some really bad results in between. He had some good ones as well. You, I think he reached the ATP Finals, maybe won that. But I remember him losing in the quarterfinals of the US Open the following year. He lost early in the French Open a couple of times. He did nothing at, 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 uh, at Wimbledon. He got served off the court by Goran Ivanišević in a, in in a match that by the end he was virtually tanking because he just was walking side to side in 1992 and then he won Wimbledon in 93 and he found his way you know when you're 1920 you don't you, you haven't got it all figured out not not usually not unless you're Nadal how many Nadal's are there be just there is on another one <laughs> All right. <laughs> right.
2: but yeah no, but
0: even 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 him yeah you know it, yeah it's, absolutely i know, i know i'm I'm a fine one to talk. I mean said the our will win this tournament, but on a serious note with, with Rando i just i just I know the rush is that she's such a massive name in the u k and there's just an uh an insatiable appetite for coverage of her. That's what the rush is all about. People have to talk about it, so they, so they. What are they going to say? They're going to either say, "Well, I don't know what you're getting fussed at, Fussed about that doesn't make a very good headline. Mm. So what people end up doing is, and look, I'm, I'm not trying to point the finger at my my journalistic colleagues. They're trying to cover the the story. It's a difficult one for them, and I know some of them agonise over it because mm. they they don't yeah. want to be be adding to fuel to this to this unrealistic. Um, coverage or, or unrealistic expectations they they care too they do but they
2: also know the industry they're in yeah. and they, they're doing they, they their need job people to buy the papers they've and got click editors on the... who, who, yeah.
0: who who need certain things but i know from my perspective i just honestly i'm just quite happy to just watch her develop and maybe there'll be some decisions she makes that i don't agree with and i'll say that but it's up to her to work it out and, mm. and i think she will well, she's got
1: that perspective on it, doesn't she? Which always up, kind of uplifts me after I've had, as you said, the experience of hearing some of those chuckles or some of the sneering. Um, you go into a Emre Adekarni press conference and she's kind of the most mature person in the room. Yeah. She's got it all, you know, she, c- kind of clear in her mind and... Look, I mean, there definitely were positives today in that, as you said, this was the same opponent who she played about nine months ago in her first match as a Grand Slam champion. And she seemed a bit more at ease with it from the start today. You know, she played really well in that first set. Her backhand was doing a lot of damage. The conditions suited her more today than, than the other day, I think, a little bit quicker. Um, but, you know, Sasnovich when she gets her game together, as she did in those second and third sets, she can kind of hit anyone off the court. She
0: should but be ranked a lot higher. She,
1: she is one of those players who I think, why have you not won something big? Because she's, had she's so hard to stop she's when she gets She's had so going. many
2: wins over top 20 players. She's somebody yeah. that beats the players that she shouldn't on ranking and loses to a lot of players that she should be beating. Mm. Um, yeah, she should be ranked a lot higher. Yeah, End and, of story. and
1: and I think you really can boil the match down, I'm I'm, I'm sure there were lots of factors at play, but the one all game in the third set, Raducanu had break points, she missed a forehand passing shot by a whisker, if that goes in, we're potentially talking about Raducanu going through it it, she wasn't a million miles off,
0: no, I think she faded physically Mm. uh, Mm. in the match but I'm not going to say, oh no, it's terrible it's part of the development, Mm. she needs to improve that I'm sure she will.
2: And she mentioned she mentioned in press that she and her team had been reflecting. I think it was yesterday morning about how this, you know, this this week, this couple of weeks is pretty much the year anniversary of her joining the tour, becoming a, a full time professional tennis player. She said this time last year she was playing at a GB event in Cornwall. <laughs> um, i didn't even know and there she was, said she one. was she's looking forward to her second lap of the tour and not having to ask where everything is all the time and just not feeling like a newcomer everywhere she goes and i can so relate to that and and i really hope sort of an extra level of comfort on the tour is you know is comforting mm. to her um so, yeah, she heads on onto on grass now. Um, she said she definitely intends to play Birmingham. Whether she signs up for an, another event, Nottingham, perhaps before then, uh, remains to be seen. Just quickly, in while we're in Brit Corner, Cameron Norrie uh, was a winner today. He was dragged into a bit of a scrap, wasn't he, against Jason Kubler, but won through in straight sets. Plays Karen Hashinov next. Big opportunity to reach the second week of a slam, that. For
0: the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. I mean, I, I tried to put to him that, is this the biggest match of your career so far in that you've never reached one? He wasn't really going with that.
2: <laughs> well, he, he always, when he's reached third rounds, he's always run into... Well, it's Nadal. A Nadal a it, was, yeah. it was Nadal yeah. in
1: Australia, Nadal here, I think, and then he, Federer at Wimbledon.
2: Yeah, yeah. I wish him well. That would that would be a, a massive win. And, um, okay, while well, well, we're in British corner, Andy Murray... Did some tweeting today. Um,
1: <laughs> he, uh, he tried to call a Benoit pair press conference. No one was having it. So he took to Twitter instead. Mm,
2: yes. Uh, this this is what Andy Murray's had to say. We don't need to dwell too long on it. But he says, I follow g- golf very closely and uh, closely and have no idea how many ranking points the winner of the Masters gets. Me and my friends love football, which is such a sort of primary school thing to say, <laughs> isn't it? Um, And none of us know or care how many ranking points a team gets for winning the FIFA World Cup. But I could tell you exactly who won the World Cup and the Masters. I'd hazard a guess that most people watching on Centre Court at Wimbledon in a few weeks' time wouldn't know or care about how many ranking points a player gets for winning a third round match. But I guarantee they will remember who wins Wimbledon. Wimbledon will never be an exhibition and will never feel like an exhibition. And then he says the end... Although he then did do some more tweeting. Did really? he? He did. Uh he did some he did some responding to people, which I just don't ever think is a good idea on Twitter. Um, unless it's the sort of uh, jazz hands emoji in response to people being nice. <laughs> <laughs> um He Marty Fish responded to him his point about, you know, no one could tell you And I could tell you who'd who'd won the World Cup and the Masters, uh, etc., etc., but couldn't tell you how many ranking points. And Marty Fish said, perhaps, but the players do. And Andy Murray responded, absolutely the players do. I don't dispute that. I'd rather play for points. However, it's not the be-all and end-all. Do you think the top golfers golfers would still play the Masters if there was no points? Would Mito Pereira rather have won the PGA Championship and earned no points or finished third and got however many ranking points he got. I could be wrong, but I don't think any tennis player serving for a slam title, any footballer taking a penalty in a World Cup shootout, or any golfer teeing off on the 18th hole of a major was thinking about ranking points. It's still not the end. What's making them nervous, in my opinion, is the possibility of winning an historic slash prestigious event in the sport they love and have trained most of their life for, not the thought of the ranking points. I think the player field at Wimbledon will reflect this anyway. Congrats to all the players that earned 90 ATP and WTA ranking points at Roland Garros today. (laughs) And that actually is the end. Although he then does keep replying to Mardi Fish. Right. Starts talking about the Saudi Arabian Golf League. Anyway, head to Andy Murray's Twitter if you want to hear. Sometimes he just sort of has a day. He does. (laughs) Just
0: lets it all out.
2: Which is very much my approach to Twitter as well. So I... Objectively, I see that it's weird, but I also uh, totally understand. Uh, back to the women's draw. Manda Anisimova backed up the win over Naomi Osaka a couple of days ago with a smoother silk demolition of qualifier Donna P S P.S. How is Donna Vekic a qualifier? Mm. Um, she now plays Karolina Mukova.
0: Oh, that's an interesting match.
2: It is, particularly as Mukova beat Maria Sakharie today in... Uh, I've I've just done a double take on this because my notes say two two grueling sets, but in my head it was it was an epic three setter. It was a it was a it was as epic a, a straight sets match can possibly be.
1: Yeah, it was. It was the match of the day, really, until Alcaraz did his thing. Um, it it really gripped me for those two and a half hours. It was such. It was. There's such a contrast. You know, Sakari attacks every ball with all her might and is very tight on the court. And Mukova sort of caresses the ball. And sometimes you think, oh, go for it a bit more. Be a bit, be a bit more tight on the court. I want a bit more from Mukova. She's be almost, a bit
2: fangier. She's
1: almost too relaxed sometimes. <laughs> and yet it just made this wonderful contrast. And honestly, honestly Mukova was the better player throughout. I really felt like Sakari was was hanging on and the reason she made the sets close is that she plays so well when she's behind in the score because she loosens up and she kept mounting these sort of mini comebacks to take them, take both sets in into tie breaks. But, you know, Mukava is a very talented player and she has all the variety that I don't think Sakari particularly enjoys. You know, slice, she can come to the net, she can... Hit the ball with spin. She can play with angles, and that is not something which Sakari enjoys coming up against. Um, and I think she wants
2: a physical hitting contest, doesn't she, Sakari?
1: She does because she'll back herself in those, mm. and I would back her in most of those as well. But you know, Mukova is a kind of perplexing player. I think largely because she's so often injured. You know, we don't really, we don't really know how good she could be because mm. she she does something like this and then poof she's kind of gone again in in a few weeks and she never seems to build on anything there's never any momentum but she's always capable of producing a result like this
2: yeah 2 hours 28 minutes that match and it was taking place at the same time as Alexander Zverev's sort of slow lolloping fight back against Sebastian Baez and the sort of the contrast of the rhythms of three-set tennis versus five-set tennis were incredibly stark to me in that moment. You had the, in our positions in the press room, those were the two matches on the, the two big screens next to us, adjacent to one another. So look, I, I went to Maria Zachary's press conference. She, she, was, she was very good. I thought, I'll only ask this question if she seems, you know, if it seems, if she seems up for it, you know. And she was obviously gutted, but incredibly reasonable and good-natured. So, you know, I, I I basically made the point that Hannah had made on our, on our Twitter feed earlier on today that, you know, that we've had a couple of men's matches in the last 24 hours where top players have gone two sets to love down and had the opportunity, the chance to to work themselves back in, into the match. And and I said to her, look, I felt a bit shortchanged by the match today because I was loving it and it was brilliant and I wanted more of it and... Maybe the whole thing would have been different with, you know, if you were playing best of five. And she said, I would bloody love best of five. She said, because it would be brilliant for me. She said, I back myself in a physical contest against anyone. Wow. But then, but then she said, but it's never going to happen. It'll never happen. She said, oh, but we'll never finish. We'll never finish the tournaments if women play best of five. So I asked for the microphone back and I said, I've got a a proposal for you. Best of five for men and women week one. Sorry, best of three for men and women week one, best of five week two. And she said, no, 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 that... I mean, look, she was post-victory. It was... That was a lot to, you know, the whole tennis podcast... Manifesto was a lot for her to take in in that moment. And she was. Time is everything. She, she was pretty dismissive of it. She said, no, 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 you couldn't switch from best of three to best of five mid tournament. And I just. I felt really sad in that moment because just this sort of institutionalized, deeply grained level of acceptance of women having to make way for men. She said, it would be great for me if there were best of five set tennis. And rather than going why don't I try and push for there to be five-set tennis? Why can't I why, have some of that? Why can't I have some of that, which is sort of the default position of, of men? There's just this acceptance that, that, no, this is how things are. But really what she's doing is making a sacrifice for for men to play best-of-five sets. And that makes me really sad. And I know, look, I totally know that there are plenty of players that ask the same question and say, no, 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 thank you, because, you know they feel that best of five wouldn't personally benefit them. And I think that's why I often don't canvass the opinion of players because generally speaking, I don't really care what the players think. I think it's right that women should play, should have the opportunity to best of play best of five sets. If, if we accept that best of five sets is the ultimate form of the game, I think it's just a matter of right and wrong that women should have access to it. And whether the players that we currently have now agree with it or not is but, uh, That's pretty irrelevant to go, me. Players right? come and go. It's, it's so much who's, bigger who's than that.
0: who's to decide what the ultimate form of the game is?
2: Well, if it's not, if it's then not why do the we players? have it? If it's not the players. If who, it's not?
0: Well, I, I think because it's just always been the case. I don't know who came up with it um, in the first place, but I think to change it or to... Because I mean, as Steve Simon was saying, there's there's a push to go the other way. I mean, I I th- I like the compromise. That the, the, the well, the reason why we why we we all came up with the view that we did of best of three for four rounds and then five for the last three. I mean, to me, that's perfect. Um hmm.
2: Is that going anywhere, David? No, just
0: ruminating. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, I'm. 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 I'm liking tennis podcast manifesto. What does What does she think
0: of the mix?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask for the microphone back to ask that. I would, did though.
0: Would she like to go on the boat? Yes. Upon,
2: <laughs> upon exiting that press conference, I was accosted by a very lovely young woman uh, who asked me um, firmly but politely to sign a release form. Uh, because um, Netflix were filming.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: And this really interested me. I said, oh, you weren't doing this in Australia. She said, oh, were you in press conferences in Australia? I said, yep, like all of them. She said, oh, I might have to come back to you and get you to sign other forms then. (laughs) Um, But me and one other... Journalists that had asked an English question in that press conference were presented with Netflix release forms. So, catherine has Cita- been
1: going around all day saying, "I'm going to be on Netflix." Sitsa
2: Pass voice: "I'm going to be on Netflix." <laughs> P.S. We haven't revisited Sitsa Pass's absolutely um, convinced assertion that he was going to be in the finale of Drive to Survive because he was he was at the, it was the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. He was not in the Cip finale <laughs> of Drive to Survive.
0: I wonder if he had to sign anything.
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm going to be on Netflix, folks. Um, just wrapping up a few other things in the women's draw today. Coco Goff is through; she she'll face Kaya Kanepi in round number three. Goff, we saw a little interview with with Coco Goff in the Eurosport coverage earlier, and she was asked by Barbara Shep, "What are your ambitions for this tournament?" She said, oh, "Well, look, obviously winning it." Um, But she said, look, it might not be this year, but it definitely will happen. Ooh. It was great. I
1: like that. Yeah, I really like Coco Golf. Yeah, me too. And she's playing well. There was a tricky match today against Alison van Oitvenk, who Hannah reminded us has had success at this tournament Mm. before. You might not think that 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 sort of serve volley game, sometimes chip game, likes to come forward would work on clay, but it... It has for her. So yeah, that was a that was a good win for Goff. And I went to a press conference just just to check there was no drama with why she's not playing doubles with uh, Katie McNally, who is normally her partner. They're both in the tournament. They're playing with different partners. Goff is playing with Jessica Pagula. Happy to report that uh we will be seeing Goff and McNally together again. They haven't fallen out do or mean, anything. Do
2: you mean McCoco?
1: McCoco, exactly um she's just playing with Jessica, Jessica Pagula for the clay.
2: Mm. Matt went in search of Agro and found none. <laughs> uh Victoria Azarenka will play Jill Teichman in round number 3. That's um that's tricky for Azarenka I think. Tykeman is is a force on clay. Leila Fernandez was comfortable today against Katerina Siniakovish. She now faces Belinda Bencic who beat Bianca Andreescu fairly comfortably today. There was a bit of a a rally from Andrescu in in the second set it looked like it was going to be two and one at one stage but there was a real fight back from Andrescu but but it was a, it frankly it was a disappointing match it it came on after the the Zverev five setter on Chatrier. there was absolutely no crowd for it, it looked like a covid tennis match and it was that was such a shame. It deserved more. Benchitch probably would have won regardless of the atmosphere. Um she was very, very good today. You know, she's won her first title on clay this season. Um she definitely looks more comfortable than she ever has before. But um Andreska was really gutted after that. She I think she felt good coming into this tournament and you know i think she's realistic about her comeback she wasn't expecting to win the thing but i think she you know she wanted a bit more
0: she's starting these matches too slowly that's mm. two in a row that she she's having to find some miracle really mm. and i just think she just needs to keep going needs to play not get injured just keep on playing as long as she's feeling happy enough in herself she'll she'll get there
2: mm. yeah i agree and i I desperately want her to... Uh, Sloane Stephens won again today.
0: Are you at that point yet, Catherine? <laughs> the one that you often get Well, I very
2: deliberately didn't pick her today, even though I thought, mm, maybe. Because I've just... I've gone to the world too many times.
0: Are we going to hear if Sloane Stephens plays her best tennis?
2: She, she could win this. I do think that. Yeah. I just don't think she'll, she'll play it another... Five times no
0: she won the last don't 12 games today I don't trust her anymore this is a p- person speaking of having because you've been burned so many yeah. times oh, by this totally. yeah I'm, we I'm a
2: damaged I'm a damaged person uh, she'll play Diane Parry in round number oh. three who backed up her big win over Barbora Kruchikova. That's great. Um Kruchikova incidentally t- today announced that she she woke up the morning after her defeat in, with a fever and she's She's tested positive for COVID and she's had to pull out the doubles, which, of course, she was also defending champion in. It's just a what a rotten few months for Barbora Kutikova. It's all really tough, so we really wish her well. Um, And just one last note from today. It's still on. Angelique Kerber won again.
0: Yeah, I'm feeling a bit more that it might be on than I was a couple of days ago.
2: I mean, she did beat a woman who was was uh, channeling her inner...
1: Fakundo Bagnes. Fecundo
2: Bagnes. She had well, a mummified leg. Oh, did she? Yes.
0: <laughs> Who's Kirby got now then?
2: <laughs> Alexandra Sasnovich.
0: Ooh, mm. that's, that's a good contest mm. on paper, and, isn't it?
1: And look, I mean, you know, I know we're sort of joking about it still being on, but I'm also sort of believing it. We're also talking about Sloane Stevens. All I would say is that's the side of the draw to be on. You know, because...
0: Yeah. It's on for everybody. It's kind side. of
1: yeah. on for everyone. I was looking today, the The six highest ranked players in that side of the draw are all out. Krejcikova, Sakari, Kontovate, Jabur, Muguruza and Raducanu have all gone. And it's day four. And yet, you know, you've still got Kerber, you've still got Anisimova, you've... There's so many, you've still got Stevens, you know, you've still got Teichman, Goff, Azarenka. There's still a lot of players in there. But crucially, Igor Fiontek's not there. And I just mm. think that gives everyone a lift and a chance in that side there, of the there draw. Are
2: two, in the men's and the women's, there are two definite sides of the draw mm. that you want to be on, yeah. aren't there? Uh, look, I think that's it for your, your roundup of day four. We we will press on with more round two matches tomorrow. Medvedev starts things on Philip Châtry against László Gero. Caroline Garcia against Madison Keys, and then. One for the American and French fans, I think. Gilles Simon against Steve Johnson. Um, and then the night session is a women's match. Right, Elise Corne against Yelena Ostapenko. Longland tomorrow is where you'll find Paula Bedossa against Kaya Yuvan. I think that's tricky for, for Bedossa. I don't know why Yuvan hasn't had better results, but she, she can play. She was Strasbourg
0: finalist last week.
2: mm, mm. Yeah, I, I yeah, think that's tricky. Ugo Gaston back in action on Longlen. Oh, I'm going to be there for Appointment that. Appointment viewing. Hey. Uh, Svontek makes her first outing on Longlen uh, against Alison Risk. And Stefano Sitapass against Zed Kolar. I don't know what the Z stands for. I thought
0: you were about to spell his name.
2: <laughs> no, he's from the Czech Republic and his first name is Zdenek.
0: Okay, oh, a bit like Shidansen.
2: I think it's fairly clear that I've never heard of it. He, he,
1: he beat uh, Luca Pui, I think, mm. in.
2: It's not a big win, that is in it? In not great Luca Pui news. <laughs> news. <laughs> um, mature Carolina in action. Thiago against Goffin. Halep uh, in action over there, and Andre Rublev rude against Savori on Court fourteen. The uh, the all um, Nordic clash. Can we call that? Hmm. Yes. Well, I've done it. Rebakina, hurt catch uh, Sabalenka. It's all happening tomorrow. Shelby Rogers against Daniel Collins. That could be fun, couldn't it? And I think somewhere on the schedule tomorrow is Putin Saver against Georgie. I think that could be. Oh yeah. I think that could When's be I? a riot When's tomorrow. Um, at some point tomorrow, David. <laughs> can't quite find it on the schedule right now. Can I video it? Yeah, sounds brilliant, does You don't, you don't do videos it? these days, do we? Uh, we have our mascots. Our tournament mascot is Cooper, the lovely, lovely cat. Hello, Cooper. My mascot is Carter. We scored points today with Sebastian Corder. David's is Darwin. Right,
0: Darwin. I'd also like to say hello to Lisa and Jen, who I met today. They're very oh. nice. Uh, people who were wearing Tennis Podcast t-shirts. I like that you had to clarify they were people during the uh, mascot (laughs) section of the podcast. (laughs) It just occurred to me. But Darwin, you're my only mascot.
2: Okay, well then can I say hello to my dad who's got a tennis-related injury at the moment, if if we're doing that? Get
0: well soon, Mr Whittaker.
2: Get well soon, Dad. Matt, you've got dearly departed Gerald the Cat. Is there anyone additional that you'd like to give a shout-out to? Um it's your one and only chance
1: um harry styles we had success today harry we styles did tickets we
2: got harry styles tickets well done us we've got our um <laughs> he's not listening
0: <laughs> maybe he'll give a shout out to us <laughs> on the show
2: that was left field matt uh we've got uh <laughs> we've got our executive producers uh and top blokes chris albert lee and kyle weingartner and we've got shout outs They've got to follow Harry Styles, which is a t- <laughs> tough act.
1: Well, do you know? I think um, I think they can actually. I'm going I'm to start with Big. Barbara Law.
2: Hey! Oh, my mum. Hello, Barbara. I don't think any of us swore in this your episode. face,
1: Harry Styles. <laughs> Barbara wrote, "Tell that son of mine to behave himself."
2: Yeah. Oh, I love that. Hello, Barbara. Sorry for all the swearing, but thank you so much for your support and for listening.
1: We also have Camilla Askey in Australia.
2: All right, Camilla. Oh, hello, Camilla. Like Camilla Georgie, who'll be taking on Yulia Putin saver tomorrow.
1: Absolutely. Um, Camilla is from New Lambton, a couple hours north of Sydney. Oh, oh OK. Lovely.
2: Nice. Lovely stuff.
1: And we also have Jose Angelico, uh, who is from Keluche in Portugal. Wow, probably name. said
2: that wrong. Um, well, I there love... are lots of tennis Jose's, aren't there?
0: Yeah, Jose Acassuso.
2: Yes, well done. Great shout. Great. <laughs> that's a that's another brilliant name, isn't it? Jose Acasuso. Very proud. Thank you all. Thank you, Jose. Thank you all very much for supporting the tennis podcast. It's because of you, friends of the pod, that we are out here in Paris having a ball. Quite frankly, it's an absolute pleasure uh to be here for this tournament to be watching it to be talking about it all so thank you uh from the bottom of our hearts do sign up to the newsletter i'm privy to matt stat today i mean i didn't contribute to it at all but it's a it's a goodie folks they're always goodies but make sure you sign up to the newsletter follow us on twitter hannah i mean it it it's a cliche at this point, isn't it? But she's just doing styling work. Um, follow us on Instagram. Tell your friends. Leave us an Apple Podcast review. All that jazz, and we'll speak to you tomorrow.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical dental and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.